Welcome to the Final Girls podcast, where we explore the intersections of horror, film, and feminism. This is Anna, co-founder of the Final Girls and your podcast host. While our current season is all about female monsters, occasionally on this podcast we'll cover new films or series that we really want to talk about, that we're excited. Stuff I really just want to watch, okay? And today's bonus episode is all about The Haunting of Bly Manor, the new series by creator Mike Flanagan and a loose sequel to the extremely creepy and extremely successful Haunting on Hill House. While Hill House was based in the Shirley Jackson novel, Bly Manor loosely adapts The Turn of the Screw, the 1898 horror novella by Henry James. And if you haven't seen Hill House, not to worry, this is an entirely self-contained series with different characters. Although Flanagan does reuse some of his cast from Hill House, including Victoria Padretti, Oliver Jackson Cohen, Kate Siegel, and Carla Gugino. Also joining them in the cast are Amelia Eve, Tania Miller, and Raoul Coley. The series just premiered this very Friday on Netflix, and for those listeners who are undecided about whether they are ready to binge the whole thing, we're going to be doing a spoiler-free section at the beginning with our general thoughts on the show, and then dive straight into a totally spoilerific discussion for those maniacs, like me, that binge the whole thing in a day or two. And joining me to discuss the series in depth is writer and podcaster Louise Blaine, host of the Kilt podcast and contributor to many more, including this one and our friends at the Evolution of Horror podcast. Louise, hello. Welcome back. Hi, Anna. Thank you. How are you? I am nervous about talking about this nervous. with you. Uh-oh. <laughs> I mean, I've got gin. Do you have gin? I have gin? gin. I always have gin when we record together. See? <laughs> It's my favorite thing. But why Why could you possibly be nervous, Anna? What would you possibly have to be nervous about talking to little old me? Well, uh, let's find out over the course of the next, I don't know how many hours. It will take time, won't it? So <laughs> what we're going to do is for people who haven't binge watched the whole series of Bly yeah. Manor yet... First of all, what are you doing? Second of You've all... You've still got time. You, you still have time. I mean, it's okay, guys. I mean, it is nine hours long. The first part of the conversation is going to be spoiler-free. So if you haven't watched it or you've watched the first couple of episodes, uh, we're not going to spoil the um, anything major about no. the show, any twists, mm-hmm. not the ending. And then I will give a warning and we'll have a little break before we go into the spoilerific discussion. So I'll leave the the timestamp in the show notes so you can go directly there after you've seen the whole series. So let's kick off straight away. To begin with, are you genuinely speaking a, a fan of Mike Flanagan's work and The Haunting of Hill House, the previous series? I am a huge fan of Mike Flanagan's work. So I love The Haunting of Hill House. I love Hush. I just, I think... Um, he makes very interesting things that I really, I, I, I mean, Hill House for me, and I think Hill House for a lot of people is a lofty, lofty height. And I think I want to say straight away before we get into anything else, I do not think Bly Manor is the same as Hill House. I do not think it is of the same standard as Hill House because I think Hill House is generally, genuinely elevated horror and not in that bullshit way not in that elevated horror where it's actually smart horror i mean elevated horror in the fact that it sits above all the rest of the horror because it is phenomenal in its balancing of mental health and scares Mm -hmm. and heartfelt loveliness but bly manor for me and not for you is still excellent (laughs) i said no spoilers louise 
<laughs> but you actually bring up a really interesting point that I was going to ask you about. And it's the the expectations set by Hill House are so major yep. and perhaps Huge. a little bit unfair to, to place those set of expectations on Bly Manor. So how would you generally compare them in terms of tone, but also scares? Um, I would certainly say that Hill House has significantly... It's significantly clearer in its scares. I do feel like Bly Manor is a haunting in the sense of you know you are in a haunted house, but this is about people, this is about characters. I mean, this is actually, you know, this is it's 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 about love mm-hmm. and relationships and an abandoned family and children. And I feel like what I've really embraced in it, sort of comp- comparing it to Hill House was its sort of classical nature. I loved the fact that it was like a big, rich ghost story mm-hmm. that I felt lots of expectations around. And I did spend, you know, and I think the expectations from Hell House, people are automatically looking for hidden ghosts, mm-hmm. right? You're looking for hidden ghosts. And I spent a lot of time looking at the background and I'm not going to spoil anything, but there are things in the background that I found exceptionally enriching to my experience potentially at times where even the show itself wasn't giving me scares but the background was and I think the idea that I mean the first time I watched Hill House I didn't know about the hidden ghosts I binged it when it came out like I think it was the day it came out and I didn't know about the hidden ghosts and it really scared me afterwards when I watched all those YouTube videos of these hidden things in the background that had been there the whole time I felt like I had been haunted because I hadn't seen those and I think with Bly Manor, knowing that they were there, they enriched my experience the first time around. So, you know, Danny arrives to look after these kids in this house and you automatically, this is a trope that you understand. This is a trope that we have been to many haunted houses with many creepy kids and many echoey, shadowy places. But I felt like that was like a reassuring, lovely comfort blanket, as opposed to, I think Hill House was scarier mm. by its very nature. And it's interesting that you mentioned it kind of working as a comfort blanket because it does tap into a lot of tropes and a yes. lot of um, kind of predictable almost behavior, predictable scares. What did you think of it as an adaptation? And in the same way as Haunting of the House is a very loose adaptation of the book, this is a very loose adaptation of The Turn of the Screw. It is very loose, but also I think it takes, and I haven't read a lot of Henry James's other works, and apparently it does take a lot from those, so I now need to read a lot of those to find out. Mm-hmm. I really need to do my homework on my homework, because the first time <laughs> around, I thought it was just turn of the screw. I was like, I know what I'm coming in mm-hmm. for here, this is fine. Um, so, But I do think that, again, knowing it's an adaptation, you go in with this kind of classical idea of what it will be, and I... I did feel like it was this big, sumptuous, almost BBC drama style experience rather than I think the modernity of Hill House draws people in a lot more. It kind of grabs them by the throat, so to speak. And I think in the in Bly Manor, in that case, you do feel you do feel slightly distanced from it, I suppose, because it's in what, what, 80s? Yeah, it's set in the late 80s. Yeah. Do you think that works, that distance? I really like it because I think it feels alien and it brings you back to it brings you back to the uh, the time of no phones and it means that things can feel quite old fashioned and they can feel abandoned and they can feel isolated in a way that 2020 just doesn't do for us. You know, we we don't feel I think 
it's it's crazy, isn't it? The fact that we can look at ghost stories and be like, well, if you just said it 20 years ago, it makes it a lot scarier because you can't just phone the police. <laughs> like, <laughs> that's weird. But it distances enough because as we know, and we're, I'm not going to spoil anything, it goes back further in time. Mm-hmm. So it's almost this portal to go back further and experience the history of the house. So it becomes a significantly more historical period piece the more you get through it. So actually, I really enjoy these multiple layers of Bly as well as just the the 80s setting. And I mean, you mentioned Danny, our protagonist, uh, a little bit before, but a lot of it, at least for the the first couple of episodes, hinges on her and of us Mm. empathizing with her and also being afraid for her. Because, and you know, this is not a spoiler, this is very much kind of from the very first episode, she's haunted herself. So what did you, what did you think of Danny Clayton as our protagonist? I love her. And I love the fact that we are getting uh, Victoria, is it Victoria, it's Victoria Pendretti, isn't it? Yes, she is. Yeah, so, and I love that we're getting her not as a monster. (laughs) Or as someone, you know, haunting other people, she is our central protagonist. I love that flip uh, from Hill House. I think that's a wonderful thing. Mm. Um, but I, I really, I really like her, and I really feel for her. And and gradually, and, and when we go into spoiler territory, I think I especially, I think part of I, I really relate to her in many, many ways. I feel, um, I and I also am deeply attracted to the idea of a character escaping because mm. even in that first episode, you know, I love the conversation between her and Henry Wingrave, who, who's basically saying like, "What's the catch with you? Why, why are you here? Mm-hmm. Why, why are you going to give up your life for children to go into the middle of the countryside?" And she, she basically said that you know she wants an escape too, mm. and she doesn't tell the whole truth, but she wants an escape, and I like. That is alluring to me because inevitably that character then becomes a puzzle that I would like to then unpick. So that character is a puzzle that investigates a new puzzle, but they I get to take them to bits at the same time. So I do find her very appealing as a central character. You've mentioned it a little bit before, but I find really interesting that kind of haunting is in the name. It's the core, pre- it's the core premise. But yeah. I don't know about you, but I didn't really find that to be a what the show was really about. No, it wasn't. And I, yes. (laughs) Is that your problem with this, Anna? Is it not scary enough? I will go into my myriad of problems (gasps) with the show in the spoiler bit. Um, (laughs) I can do this. I can do this. We can do this. (laughs) But if not about hauntings, what did you think the show was really about? Love. I thought it was about people and love and connections and relationships and the things that we do in order to feel connections with other people and how wrong they go and how broken we can be in the process of being happy. That's so I don't find and I and we will go into it in the spoiler section, but even early on in this series, it absolutely devastated Mm. me in many, many ways. Um, I found it heartfelt and real Mm. in ways that I never expected a a horror TV show to do and I think and I think partly why I absolutely love it and why even if you're not enjoying the early episodes which potentially you might have watched you should watch further just to see what Mike Flanagan is doing here because he's doing something which I think might be bold and seen as sentimental and not have nearly the same um effect especially in a a haunt and a I think where Hill House had um where Hill House had me in the way of 
people were seeing things in horrible places and they were seeing their own demons reflected back at them and and hill house doesn't bly manor doesn't hold those up quite as it does have reflections mm-hmm. when danny looks in a mirror she sees reflections but not in the same capacity as the as the as the people once they've left hill house and i think bly manor despite being wholly set in that haunted house is doesn't have the same number of scares but for me the scariest thing is the loss involved rather than the hauntings itself so i i appreciate the the difference in in saying it's a haunting it's haunting in a very different capacity it's haunting in a way that you know when you're walking alone and you get that hit of melancholy and that's you feel slightly haunted it's haunting in that way rather than horrible things are following you in a corridor god damn it you're gonna make me not hate this oh yes see see you already you feel it a little bit you do no i'm feeling that beautiful monologue (laughs) see (laughs) so (laughs) it's incredibly heartfelt the way you describe it and you know there that i think potentially could not work for some people who are yes expecting something like more like hill house but completely if we put that to one side do you think this works as a horror series i do i think there i don't think it's perfect i wouldn't i'm I'm not smacking you know 10 points out 10 out of 10 here i'm not putting five stars on this i think i think there are some uneven episodes i think there are some janky accents i think uh peter quint's glasgow accent literally made me have a tick in my eye uh because it's almost close enough i'm definitely asking you about that in one second okay (laughs) You can ask me about that. You can ask me about that accent. But I think I, I do. I feel like it is uneven um, at points. I think there is one episode too many, um, especially at one stage that we'll go into in spoilerific territory. But I do think overall it works mm. on all the levels that I wanted it to work. And actually, initially, I was quite um, I think I was quite surprised by its tone mm-hmm. and quite surprised by its content and not immediately won over but i was by the end mm-hmm. in- entirely entirely as you have probably just heard <laughs> I'm, I'm on board <laughs> so before we go into spoiler territory because i think we're both just sort of twitching yes yes who do you think would enjoy this series the most i think hmm that's interesting i th- Hmm. <laughs> Who do I think? I think it's an expectations thing. So I think everyone can enjoy this show. I really do. I think everyone could watch. I mean, especially if you are a horror fan that airs on the slightly more. If you're feeling slightly more emotional, if you are looking for something, I think it depends. I don't think people should be watching it on Halloween night expecting big scares for that. You should watch Host, you should watch Haunt, you should watch Trick or Treat, you should watch any of those things. You should watch Hush if you want Mike Flanagan, mm-hmm. you know, or or Hell House. But if you if you know that you are going in for a ghost story, but also a goth- gothic romance, which is what this is, it's a gothic romance, then that's that's what you should go in for. And that also, and if you're if you then go mentally, I wouldn't like that, you should try it just in case. And I don't think you will feel undernourished having been served that in your eyes for nine hours. Because it's still Mike Flanagan. It's still that crew. It is still the people that made Hell House and they're not going to shortchange you. They're just not maybe going to scare the same pants off you as you did before. Oh, this is going to get so intense. (laughs) (laughs) Do we need another gin? I I only have one gin here. I think it's time to move on into spoiler territory. Right, let's do it. I'm ready. That 
was wonderful and I wish I could agree with it. Okay, that's fine. That's great. This is why we this is why we um this is why we're here. So we're now, you know, podcast magic and all. This is now the spoiler yep. territory. So let's dive deep into this. You mentioned that it's more like a gothic romance rather than um, than a horror, yes. but that there's a lot of stuff going on in the background. Um, yes. So talk to me about kind of those things that you think worked for you in the background of Bly Manor. You mean subtext or literally in the background? Both. I mean, I'm going to start off because now we're in spoiler trailer mm-hmm. territory, right? Now we've seen the end. Yes. Everybody has seen the end of Bly Manor. So basically, I'm going to, I'm not going to lie about it. The ending of Bly Manor fucking devastated me. Absolutely ruined me. I cried, Anna, from about halfway through episode eight because I found it so emotional, the fact that the the, the ex- explanation for Viola, the lady in the lake, mm-hmm. I for, that broke my heart. The fact that they had given this, um, they had given this character such a backstory, such a story, and I didn't mind that its tropes lay where they did. I loved the black and white nature of that episode as well. Then my tears dried up for about five minutes, and I, as I watched the start of episode nine, and then. Episode 9 felt like the biggest, most doomed relationship of all time, regardless of it having good intents. And then at the by the end, I literally, the credit came up and uh, I literally had to phone my friend and bawl down the phone properly. <laughs> Tears, like absolutely broken. I was ruined, absolutely ruined. And I think on multiple ways. Uh, so that's what worked for me. The fact that it worked as I really related to Danny, I really, and I guess that's who I am in the fact that she had had a failed relationship with a man who she turned around and said, I wish I could make you love, I could love you like you want me to. And that broke me because I've been that person. I've been like, let me just fit in. Let me just love who I want. And 
you know, and then what happened to him happened to him. And that's massive amounts of guilt because not only did she have the love that she never loved him, the guilt that she never loved him, she had the guilt that he then died getting out of the car after they split up. And that was not her fault. But I appreciated that guilt that she then had to then not be able to love anyone again. And I thought this was wrapped up in a ghost story about a woman who was murdered by her sister and had to wander those halls endlessly. And I loved episode eight by the end of it. I didn't love Kate Siegel's English accent. But you've got a face. Yeah. And I was really glad that she only said like two lines. Mm-hmm. <laughs> but I loved what that episode was doing. And I loved that. I thought that episode was beautiful and sumptuous and rich. And I think I literally wrote, and your face is just like, don't, why are you thinking this? You're so wrong. That's what you're saying to me. But I literally wrote down, let me eat this episode for breakfast. Like, I loved that episode. And then I loved the next, I loved it. That latter half of that season, I loved. I'm so sorry, Anna. I feel like I'm letting you down with my sentimental heart. I love listening to you because I wish that was my experience. Because I I wish it was too. Fucking hated episode eight and nine so much. I was yelling (laughs) at the screen, and I'm not even kidding. We do this every time we record together. My note was: This is Mike Flanagan's Phantom Menace. Oh no! Yes. Oh no! Oh, Anna, no! Oh, I no. hated it so much. The black and white was oh. so bad. It was grayish. It wasn't even black enough. Kate Siegel's oh, accent. I loved it. It was so. Oh, Kate Siegel's accent was dreadful. It was dreadful. Her accent. I wish she hadn't just spoken. I love the scare. I love the scare where where the hands pop out. The chest scare was great. Yes, it was good. That was a great scare. That was a really good scare. And I love the backstory, but frankly, it could have been 15 minutes. It did not need like a full hour. Now, funnily enough, I didn't feel like that about that episode, but I did feel like that about the uncle. I thought the uncle episode was grossly unnecessary. Um, I I thought we could... The Henry... So basically, like, I felt like he was... In the baby daddy episode. Yes, exactly. (laughs) That was an unnecessary baby daddy episode because, do you know, I feel like that could have been part of the arc. I could have... We could have unpicked that through another Mm. story and I think by Mm. that point it had become quite obsessed with an episode for a character which is usually actually a very good approach like we've seen it in plenty of other things and it's all usually works yeah he didn't deserve one (laughs) so he did not deserve one that story was quite simple yeah and I you know what on paper I appreciate the tragedy of his character yeah however I could not focus on anything else aside from the fact that his brother was played by Garth Marenghi. Oh no, I hadn't and even f- noticed that. <laughs> yeah, so oh, I'm doing a terrible job because that's not that's not actually the actor's name. I hadn't noticed that. I I did find him. I looked at him and recognized him, but I didn't. I didn't connect. So he was played by Matthew Holness. I might be mispronouncing this, but also the other thing that really distracted me is that both of those brothers had extremely different accents. One of them was super posh, one of them was middle class, and one of them is very clearly American. Yes. And not doing a very good accent. (laughs) I think it's funny, like, you... It's funny, isn't it, the different accents you hear? Because you were going Mm. to ask me about uh, Peter Quint's accent, and and that's because literally, obviously, these these screeners went out to press, and people were already Mm -hmm. messaging me going there's an accent in Bly Manor that you're either going to love or hate. (laughs) 
and I got to that accent and went, oof, there it is. There's the accent. And I don't yeah. I don't hate it because it's it's pretty mm-hmm. good. You know, Mel Gibson in Braveheart mm-hmm. did a terrible Scottish accent and it was kind of acceptable. His accent is much, much better than Mel Gibson was in Braveheart. His voice goes very low. <laughs> very, very low. <laughs> um, but he does manage... You know what? I, I, I like that. Yeah. I'm not going to lie. See, that's the thing. I was also looking at him like, people are going to think you're really sexy with your Glasgow accent. People are going to think you're really sexy. I mean, I, I, mean, I, I remain immune, you know, but... It, I mean, you might be immune. I've made so many bad decisions in my life because of Scottish accents. Like... I- <laughs> Am I one of them, Anna? Am I one of your? No, you're probably one of the best one. <laughs> Don't worry, I have been a lot of people's Scottish accent mistake as well. Don't worry about it. I'm pretty sure there's a number of women that can say Scottish accents make mistakes. I am a couple of us. So don't worry about it. We all make Scottish accent mistakes. I have been that person. It's fine. But um, Peter Quint. Let's talk mm-hmm. about him. He, yes. I mean, he is, he is a, he, I mean, do you agree? He is a very good, bad character. Yes. Like he is strong. I thought he was very good up until the episode with his dramatic monologue. Oh, okay. Where he reveals his backstory. Right. Okay. So what, what did you make of him as a villain? I found him enjoyably toxic simply because I felt like, I felt like there was a lot of gaslighting going on of Rebecca yes. and us yes. because there was this, mm. the, her her forgiving him being absolutely disgusting and awful to her after that scene in the kitchen where obviously everyone was tasting the, the food, but he was a real... Oh, the, the batter. batter in the mouth yeah, thing. the batter in the mouth thing, which just, was just weird. But also, can I just say how much I love Owen's puns? Like, a batter place <gasps> is my favourite thing. Like, that character was written it. for me. But I love Hannah. I love Owen. I would yes, die for them. They were wonderful. Love and episode five, we will have to go on to because I do love episode five yes. a lot. So th- I like, do love episode five a lot. Yeah, we can agree on we that. We can agree on that. Good. That is good. See? But back to Peter. Back to Peter. <laughs> yes, he is, um, he is nasty and horrible mm. and insidious. And what I especially enjoyed about him, I mean, at the expense of Rebecca, was that she you know did that ultimate price thing she she died and she was stuck there with him and he's busy thinking this is his happily ever after to Mm. to murder someone and I think that's really interesting like I think the idea of um I feel what you've seen a ghost waits haven't you I don't think I have it was at least Fright Fest the the romantic haunted house romance movie so I won't spoil any of that, but there's a lot of um, falling in love with ghosts and uh, Mm -hmm. having relationships with people who are are ghosts. So if we think about ghost, for instance, the ways that things should happen in ghost is that Mm -hmm. the living should live and the the dead kind of need to stay dead. And Mm -hmm. I think it did some very interesting things throughout Bly Manor where it really pivoted those thoughts where you decided, well, it would just be great if everyone was dead together. But then you know that if you stay in Bly Manor dead you're going to lose your face and your humanity and all of your memories and it's going to suck. It's going to be terrible because Viola is going mm-hmm. to suck you dry because she's so sad. Um, so I did think um, the use of Peter to kind of be like, this will solve everything if you just die. <laughs> just like, mm, will it though? So I, I, do, I, I liked that element of him and his toxic, toxic nature was grim. The bit where he grabbed her wrist 
when she was oh, trying to yeah. leave was just vindictive and awful and i loved it yeah i loved him as a villain up until that point which i'll explain in a bit it's like because i love that aspect of him he was incredibly charming really alluring like you could see why rebecca would be you know seduced by him why yeah. and you know it's not just you know because the actor who plays him is really hot or the the scottish accent although those two things obviously they are together, play into yeah. it also at one they point they go I hand in hand at one point i swear he was wearing chris evans jumper from knives out i know exactly what scene you mean yeah he was he i know exactly what scene. jumper Yes. And even like that intense possessiveness and jealousy, obviously those are not attractive features, but it's a very recognizable type of villain and a very recognizable type of real life person as well. And particularly, obviously, you know, not everyone, but very particularly in these type of almost illicit romantic relationships. So it's it's a trope and a type of character that we're very familiar with seeing. And I thought that Oliver was playing him really, really well. Yeah, And then... The explanation. And this is the thing that broke it for me because it was so interesting. And you're so absolutely right. Like he was so convinced that even after he died, he still needed to have Rebecca. And that, of course, you know, even though he said that he loved her and even though there was having they were having this very lovely affair. Yeah. Actually, his possessive and disgusting nature was still the dominating trait of his. Yeah. Even after death, he was still more preoccupied with his own selfish- selfishness. Totally. So I don't want to be alone. So I would rather you die. And even yeah. when she had her doubts, he created a scenario where he effectively murdered her from beyond the grave when he possessed yeah. her and walked yes. into the lake. He, he murdered her. Like, there's no other way of interpreting this. It was not suicide. And also, obviously, yeah. the way that we're presented the, the idea or the personality of Rebecca before we see the backstory, that whole kind of unraveling of the truth and the, the idea that people had of her, the people who were still living, yes. was really interesting. And once we, we knew more about both of them together and both of them as individuals as well that slow unfolding of it until we got to their their episodes i really enjoyed yeah because they're both such dynamic performance i thought the chemistry between them was really great they were excellent but then the explanation so i'm talking specifically about the um his own dream cycle where he goes backwards and and goes back to this one memory this one confrontation with his mother yes. uh, that he remembers as an adult and he has this whole speech this very you know actor speech about being abused as a child and his mother allowing and standing by that abuse yeah and honestly sometimes i just think let a dickhead be a dickhead yep i mean like i don't I don't I know all about the cycles of abuse and all of that stuff and I think it's just lazy writing. Sometimes people are assholes and yes. sometimes people are mean and bad and they're selfish and that's okay that makes for great movie villains and oh, it series does. villains. We don't need to have to sympathize with Peter Quint. He was perfectly good as he was. Good is not the right yeah. word, but you know what yeah. you mean. He was a good character and now you made him sad. So now we have to excuse him because he is a victim of abuse. It's, I'm sorry, that just felt like lazy writing to me. It's funny. I didn't, after that, I never, I didn't feel like I had to excuse him. And it's funny the fact that you say that about movie villains because I really, really, really hated Rob Zombie's Halloween uh, because mm. he gave uh, Michael Myers an abuse upbringing story and nobody mm-hmm. needed to know that because 
Michael Myers just killed people. That was what was scary. Yes. And I can't remember yes. that was in that was in something quite recently. And it was like I watched it. and It was like Michael Myers mm. just killed people, and that's fucking terrifying. And that's yeah. that is genuinely. And I understand that need for that's who Peter Quint was because mm. because just because he was a nasty piece of work. I get it. And I suppose I I think I forgave it that because I still felt like despite the fact that he that had been in his past he could still mm. recognize what good things were and what he had and what he loved and he still completely rejected them so i think i think i still thought like i think i was like meanwhile you were like no that's not an excuse i was like that's no excuse <laughs> like you're still terrible <laughs> so i think we're both di- we're different sides of basically what's the same yes. coin there and but i completely appreciate it i appreciate it entirely i i understand that I really do. I wanted him to be more terrible, yeah. which I don't know what that says about me. Yeah. Um, <laughs> I mean, he was pretty but, terrible. He murdered Hannah Gross. Yes. That's a really nice segue. Thank mm-hmm. you to talk about <laughs> the best characters in yes. Bly Manor, yes. Hannah and Owen. Yep. Please. What did you think of them? Oh, my words. It was just, you know, when I think that's another reason to watch Bly Manor is those two characters. Absolutely. Like those performances are wonderful. Those characters are just, again, like that comfort blanket of I could just watch you talk. Being being in your presence is relaxing. And, and mm. you know, that repeat, especially for Hannah, where she was going back to her interview with him over and over again. I felt like I was coming home at the same time as she was because their conversation and he was so honest with her and they were in love in a different Mm. kind of way that was just wonderful and charming and sweet and they were really the heart of that house and I guess every I guess that's part of why a lot of people and I guess why yourself doesn't love it as much because if you were watching this in another environment if you were watching this Mm. in something that you didn't think was the second season of Hell House you might enjoy the whole season you know like it's because it's not it didn't feel like a ghost story. It felt like mm. it was just lovely. And I genuinely felt with every atom of my being for those characters. I couldn't agree with you more, to be honest. With Hannah and Owen, I just, my heart broke for yeah. them. They were lovely. They were funny. They were incredibly well written. The chemistry between them was amazing. I wanted to watch more of them. Yeah. Episode five yep. is probably my favorite episode of the season. It was wonderful. And it was the one that brought me back i was yeah not enjoying the show i was hesitant yeah about the show and then episode five happened and i was like this is amazing yeah this is going to be the this turning the point one. yeah and then it wasn't in my yeah. for me yeah but that episode that conversation and that dynamic and the the unfolding of their quiet love story yeah. as well yeah i loved yeah i think there's a. Uh... I think the reveal in that episode was really clever, actually, as well. Like, mm. I, I don't know if you, I'd wrote, I think we both do the thing where we write all the notes all the time. And obviously you were writing about Phantom Menace and I was writing about why do we never see her eat anything? She's always already eaten. Good spot. So every yeah, time what? she didn't eat, she did drink wine at mm. the fire, but she never ate anything. She'd always already eaten or someone would take a plate away from her. All of these things. Mm. And you're like... Why is she not eating? Because, you know, I think I think you have a certain thing when you're watching horror. You're like, well, I'm looking for strange things and you haven't eaten anything mm-hmm. so far. And why is that? Is it because you're a zombie? Are you dead? What's wrong with you? 
So she was already, a, I already had a question mark over her as to something yeah. is, some, she was off and she was otherworldly mm. and sometimes mm. away and we didn't quite understand why she was so away a lot of the time. And as we know now, it was because she mm. was constantly drifting through different periods of the house and mm. just disappearing because because she was dead. And I think I, I loved that dream logic as well. I loved the effortless going through explaining so we 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 learned so much in that episode and it was one of those smart things where i think one thing that mike flanagan does so well is that he he lines things up and he gives you many mysteries and he gives you all these tiny mysteries and then he will mm-hmm. give you the answers to every single mm. little bit of those mysteries like you're never left going but but why was that never happens and episode five was a giant answer to so many questions that we were then had answered again for us in episode eight <laughs> maybe a little too much but did you did you see it coming then or was the did the reveal of hannah be having been dead the whole time work for you and also who murdered her um in my eyes i was expecting something to happen i didn't know if i didn't expect it to be as beautifully placed as the well mm. the idea that um the idea that danny had come up literally as she was looking in at her own body it's quite fascinating. That was a wonderful, yes. wonderful link to where we are mm. now because I think that's the thing that Bly Manor works with very well because it's working in multiple time periods with multiple histories mm-hmm. and multiple families mm-hmm. and multiple situations going on in that house and it does a very, very good job of jumping between them and I think she makes her episode makes a very, very good link between those things. Mm. And it, I mean, it was um, Peter that murdered her completely in my eyes. I want to come back to that in a second, but actually what I find more interesting that you're pointing out is the dream logic and also the the, um, the time hopping. Yes. Um, so I think you put it really well and I do agree with you that that episode kind of reinvigorates the season or at least yeah. it did for me by introducing or kind of opening up our eyes to things that were already there and that we are operating in a dream logic, but also that there's a very particular um, landscape for the ghosts of Bly Manor yes. that is totally different. Yeah. Um, so if you're expecting the same kind of ghost logic yeah. or ghost dimension as in Hill House, it's radically different. Yeah. And I'm always fascinated by how filmmakers or writers create the rules of the afterlife yes. for their series. Yes. So what did you think? And did you think it all worked and tied together in Bly Manor? The way the ghosts um, lived on and then operated in both within their memories, the dreams and the spaces? I did. I quite quickly, initially I was quite confused as we all are. But I think it very quickly uh, sort of gave us that logic of if you're either, if you're not here, then you're going through your past you know, you're falling. Mm. Although Hannah seemed to have a very different way of doing things where she seemed to be able to see multiple sort of eras or other people's memories. She was quite unique that way. But I, mm-hmm. I, pre- I appreciated that I knew that she had a different logic from everyone else. I think mm. that's a quite, it's quite a strange thing to say, but I, I understood their logic. I understood that if they died there, they stayed there. Mm-hmm. I like that as a concept. It's um obviously like uh it's like murder house, right? You're trying to you're trying to you're trying to drag the bodies onto the premises to die so mm-hmm. that they can hang around. Like I think there's something very attractive about that in a weird mm. grim way where it's just like, well, if you stay here, you'll stay. And for a mm-hmm. moment that feels appealing, doesn't it? That to stay with the humans and it's not. <laughs> yeah, of course. And they um 
they make it i think the kind of the the interesting addition is the fact that there is decay yes with the ghosts yes the fact that they do decay the fact that they lose the only thing that they're made of yeah. out of is the memories of who they were as humans yeah and that is obviously very extensively explained to us yeah. in episode eight <laughs> <laughs> I will acquie- I will say I will explained. <laughs> I will say that there were too many wake walk sleep. <laughs> I think there was a couple more than there potentially should have been. But mm. I was so in by then. You know, I was really in by then that that this I felt like I'd had everything explained to me in just the right way. I think that mm. was my thing. I felt like You've just made this not just logical. You've not mm. just explained the science of how this... Because I love that. The fact that there's almost... There are rules. There's science to all of them. I mean, whatever we're watching, whether you're watching, gosh, Insidious and you're clambering into the beyond or whatever it is, yeah, it has yeah. a logic. Mm-hmm. It has a science. And I did enjoy the fact that she was the explanation for that. And that, she, mm. that her by the very nature of her repetition and that was almost delivered to us i mean you could say that was very very intentional of that was Mm. that was her life and that was what we were then being served repetition repetition this is what's going to happen to you you will do this over and over and over again until you find it uncomfortable so actually i'm not defending it and i Mm -hmm. did feel like it was i mean it was certainly a bold move but at the same time i did appreciate the fact it was like this is a cycle and we are being hammered over the head with this cycle. And I liked the fact that that then explained the last, I don't know, five, the f- seven episodes of the behavior of the children, why mm-hmm. things had been the same where it was. I mean, I love the idea that that doll is under the chest of drawers because that's the lake. Like, that's a wonderful thing. And I think I, I forgave it, any of those inconsistencies for that very nice conceit, I think. Maybe I'm just too forgiving, like- Anna. I like the conceit. Don't get me wrong. I like the conceit. I despise the delivery. Oh, it <laughs> hurts so me. Anna. I feel like, it hurts me. Oh. I'm so sorry. I don't want to hurt you. Oh. I just like it's okay. if you're gonna do with any sort of series. Like if I want to see a laugh DS film for four hours and <laughs> meditate on the cycle of repetition and patterns of human behavior, I'm gonna go see a film, a laugh DS film for four hours. I don't need it served to me in the form of a, <laughs> of a horror TV show. Okay, I I'm being I'm trying not to be brutal. I it didn't work for me. I think I completely agree with agree with you in the conceit. I like the explanation because I do like. I'm interested in ghost politics. And like I said before, I'm interested in the explanations that the filmmakers can come up with. And I actually really like the idea of ghosts deteriorating. I just wish it was better executed and shorter. But that kind of brings me on to um, the idea of this lady of the lake. Yes. Of Viola and her story, which we're told. Um, What did you think of the... Of the idea of ghosts deteriorating and the way that they are in the house, in Bly Manor, sort of interacting with some characters, yes. sort of dream hopping in their own memories. Yep. But did they seem, maybe scary is not the right word, but did they seem present enough to you? I, do you know, it's interesting. You know, I think had I not been looking in the background for something... Mm-hmm. 
and for everything standing there, which I felt like was very obvious. Were they obvious to you? I felt like they were very obvious, except one of my... I'm going to talk about my favourite hidden ghost. Do you remember... Go for it. Do you remember early on, um, she came running out of the house because there was the plague doctor was in the Mm -hmm. children's room. And then the plague doctor again was at the back of the corridor. Mm -hmm. And then she ran outside. Did you spot Mm -hmm. the plague doctor behind the hedge on the left-hand side? No, I don't think I did. It is the scariest shot in the whole movie, ah! in the whole TV series, because she runs up other than the, the chest uh, grabbing. Mm-hmm. She runs mm-hmm. out of the house and she does this thing where she looks left and right as if she's looking for something. And I'm screaming at Danny going, it's right there. It's behind the tree because you can see the, the long nose poking out behind yeah, the tree. Yeah. I don't think it's terribly obvious. It's not a twig. But at the same time, <laughs> I found that genuinely unnerving because it last, it lingered on it long enough. It lingered there long enough to, for you to see it. And if you saw it, I got you got this horrible chill of the thing of there's things, even when you think that you are safe, there are things there. And that did that for me. So I did feel that things were present. I did feel like the nasty things were present enough. Um, I felt if I hadn't been seeing the things in the background, I kind of wish I'd seen viola a little more because Mm -hmm. at one point we saw her crossing the hallway Mm -hmm. and i think i could have done with a bit more of that because that is scary the idea of Mm. the the lady in white is a lady of like it's a scary thing it's an intrinsically scary thing and i think i'm also uh, this i'm such a sucker for this anna because i have a (laughs) i have an extreme fear of headless things but also faceless things yes (laughs) and yes that was horrible the faceless thing yes. was horrible, like really ghastly, and not just smooth because there were kind of indentations for the eyes, mm-hmm. and that mm-hmm. that imagery was scary. And there was more scary imagery. I mean, there wasn't the bent neck lady, but there was scary imagery and children running around with no faces, also scary in my eyes. I mean, but potentially in general, exactly. But potentially, I do understand not enough for a lot of people after being literally pooing themselves at the jump scare in the middle of hill house i get it i really do it's not although it's i not will that. say the moment where peter quinn gets murdered by the by the lady of the lake yes was a legit scare it was great and that worked so well yes. i thought like it was a fantastic death scene it was slow and, and he the... deserved it too yes he did he really deserved and it she really just the fact that it was so dragged out literally she literally. dragged him by the literally. neck but also it's because it's smooth and slow and everybody's just there watching him yes. die in slow yeah. motion i found that to be very effective but i wanted to pick up on something you were mentioning and it's the design of the ghosts the facelessness the mm-hmm. indentations and i have to bring up the the only ghost that is not from Bly Manor, which is um, Danny's ex boyfriend, ex fiance. Yes, head headlight man. Oh yeah, or you know Elijah Wood from Sin City. That was the problem. That was the problem. He was Elijah Wood from Sin City. I you know, I didn't find him so scary as mm. such, but I liked. I found him quite unnerving. And I, I, mm-hmm. I, I think I already knew that he was a puzzle. I looked at him and yeah. I was like, you are a puzzle. You are a puzzle I want yeah. to solve. I'm going to find out yeah. about you. I know why you're going to have reflective eyes and that's going to be a reason. Mm. And then, so by the time he got out of the car, I was like, oh, 
that's going to reflect in your eyes and that reflects mm-hmm. in your eyes. But it certainly didn't bother me. And I did like mm-hmm. the fact that I, I love the whole reflection element of everything. I love the fact mm-hmm. that even once she was rid of him, she got Viola and she could she mm-hmm. was looking in her reflection for for her, the reflection for her. So I think while I didn't find him particularly terrifying, I found him quite mm-hmm. annoying. But mm-hmm. I found him annoying in a sense as well because I wanted her to be rid of him and I was shouting at her that he's not your fault. You didn't mean that. Like you were just trying to be a good person and do what everyone expected you to do. I was doing a lot of projection with that episode. I get it. I really <laughs> do. I do get it. Also, he had a terrible reaction to her as well. Yeah. Not saying he deserved to die, but also not a great reaction. Not a good reaction. No, he was a bit of a dick. They did manage to mm-hmm. they did manage to kind of level that off a little bit. And I just and I think on a on a just a general thematic note, sexuality mm-hmm. wise, I found it so important. And it's it was something that obviously we had in Hell House as well, which was wonderful. Mm-hmm. But I mm-hmm. love the fact that the central romance was two women. I loved yeah. it. It was empowering and sweet, and it didn't make a big mm-hmm. deal out of it. But it, it it was just this wonderful effortless thing, and I think mm. I found that particularly refreshing. It wasn't a side character. It was her. And, mm-hmm. you know, that was the tragedy. That was the that was the, the doom of that was was her. So, yes. But, yes, relatable. Let's talk then about Danny and Jamie. Yes. Let's Obviously, do that. I can I can imagine that you love them. I did. I, they were go- yeah, they were did. they were goals. <laughs> <laughs> but they weren't goals. They weren't goals. I, I enjoyed how complex they were. I mm. I liked how uh, hard to get but also snuggly Jamie was. I under I liked her backstory of the fact that you know plants plants are great <laughs> because I I loved I loved that she was um she was a sweet character that I enjoyed and that I had a crush on from quite early on mm. and was really glad that they actually had a <sighs> tragedy ever after but. You know, for the the years or whatever they had together, I was really pleased. Mm -hmm. And I I didn't feel, and what I found was really interesting, and I wondered if there'll be any discussion around this. And Mm. usually the the discussion of kill your gaze obviously comes up. But I actually found that it really really, um, manipulated that idea because everyone in that gothic romance was doomed. (laughs) Whether you were, whoever you were, that universe does not discriminate at all. It is equal miserable opportunities and they had a better, happier existence than than a lot of the people in that. So they actually got their happily ever after and Danny was the hero that literally, mm-hmm. sadly, had to sacrifice herself for, again, because of Viola. So I, I enjoyed their relationship. I enjoyed its complexity. Sometimes I was furious at it. You know, I was just like, just, just tell each other things. Just speak, speak, both of you. But... Now I am at the age I am, I understand that character that people don't just say how they feel. So I did find them mm-hmm. enjoyably complex. And as enjoyably complex as Rebecca and Peter. You know, there was a there was a not the same toxic level of anything, but there was the same mm-hmm. relationship complexity that I appreciated. That was a long answer to a short question, sorry. No, that was a really beautiful answer. Um I did I have to say I did really like Danny and Jamie's relationship. 
I have a few nitpicks with it, but overall, I thought it was really beautiful. I loved, uh, as same same as you, I loved the fact that we have a, a lesbian relationship at the heart of it. Yep. The fact that that's the real love story. That's the, the real kind of romantic, gothic, gothic romance yep. of the whole thing, yep. as opposed to Rebecca and Peter. Yep. I think that's sort of the detour that we take. Yes. And that ends pretty quickly. And actually, the underlying love story actually is Danny and Jamie yep. and Hannah and Owen as yes, well exactly i was really sad that helen hannah and owen couldn't end up together but yep. also the the tribute to her with his restaurant mm-hmm. at the end mm-hmm. i thought was very beautiful very page 28 see you didn't hate episode eight nine nine but <laughs> <laughs> but but anna but I feel like I'm being so mean. I'm trying to be so nice with this. I know, you're good. <laughs> you're doing very well. I feel like I feel like people will be screaming, listening to you, going, just be mean, just be mean to her. Look at my little face. Would you be mean to this face? I cannot be mean to that face or to that accent. Listen, you know that. I... Um, okay. The Moonflower Discourse. Yes. No. No. <laughs> No. The fuck was that all about? Uh, oh God, I forgave it that. See, I just <laughs> you really, like, it I, I just forgave I it. it. I forgave it that. I mean, I didn't. I mean, I wasn't in for that. Like, I was literally like, just kiss, just kiss, just well, kiss, quite. just leave the flowers, yeah. just kiss, 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 kiss. That's it. That's all you need to do. But you know, it's it's a gothic romance. What are you gonna do? You're gonna have a bit of poetry about flowers? Sure. <laughs> Although I have to say the thing that I love most about Danny and Jamie's relationship is Danny's just utter... Victoria Pedretti is so good at very much acting with her face. Yes. And her sort of desperation almost in her face to kiss Jamie uh-huh. was so beautiful. It was adorable. It was, like, it was so nice. And Jamie's reservation as well is like, yeah. is this girl a tourist? Like, yeah. what's happening? Like, I'm not... I don't want to get involved with someone who's just like, oh, I'm just going to have a fling with this... Totally. Gar- hot gardener girl she that we have. It's a hot gardener. I mean, I am into the idea that they're subverting the hot gardener thing from at an estate manor, mm. from maybe, you know, a burly 40-something man yeah. to a hot 30-something young woman in overalls. Mm-hmm. She was wearing Doc Martens quite a lot. I liked it. Yeah, wearing blondie t-shirts as well. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Yep. We, that was very well noted. Um, however, <laughs> you know, I'll accept that. I'll allow that. Yep, you are. The moonflower, the moonflower um, speech. Yep. Okay. Step too far. Yep. Step too far. Okay, that's fine. However, the, them ending up owning a flower shop, living in a most beautiful apartment. Adorable. Gorgeous. Love it. Absolutely adorable. Here for it. Yep. However... <laughs> Let's talk about the bookend. Okay. What did you make of the the framing device of the story of Bly Manor, which is told to us by, we find out at the end, yep. an older Jamie, yes. played by Carla Gugino. Yep. A goddess amongst people. Yeah, absolutely. But not good at accents. Uh, do, you know, do you know something? Now, the accent I didn't mind, and actually closer to the end when she put on the gardener's accent for about two minutes mm-hmm, I actually mm-hmm. thought was really sweet because I thought she got away with that accent 
Because it was almost like, a, this is a reminder that this is who you are. You've already been hammered with this. You know who I am now, but I'm just going to tell you in this accent. And I actually quite like that. But as a framing device, like, I love the idea of it being a story within a story. I like that. that that's how ghost stories should be told in front of a fire to a captive mm-hmm. audience. So I, mm-hmm. I, I was totally happy for that to be the framing of it. And the fact that that was Flora's wedding, you know, that was lovely. Um, sad, again more sads just endless amounts of sad like just just beat up my broken heart already just hammer it into the ground but i like i liked it we have time and wine enough um for for a story and i I enjoyed it so i liked that wrapping it did feel it felt Mm. very formal very sunday night bbc drama but i was there for Mm. that i was there for that and also it was the excuse to use the turn of the screw and the saying the title at the start of the first episode, which I really also enjoyed. That's when you have to take a drink. <laughs> <laughs> I do I do like the framing device, but do you like the fact that it's all the same characters? Older, but Oh, I'm mincing my words so much here. Pick your words. The fact that it's set in 2007. Yeah. And that they're presented as quite, you know, in their 50s. Let's say that. Mm -hmm. And they're much younger in 1987. But does that add up to how we meet them in 2007? Or did they age an additional 10, 15 years? I, I didn't even think about the maths, Anna. Oh. <laughs> I was... I couldn't think of anything else. That's that's because you, by that point, you were so miserable. I, I didn't even think about the maths. I didn't think about it. I didn't care. I didn't care. It had me. I'm sad I'm so sorry. I just... I didn't care. I didn't... Like, I'm... I was here for the dream logic. I was here for the mm. ghost logic. I was here for the relationship. I wasn't there for the moonflower. I was there for the gardener okay. episode five, yes, and not so much the you know the uncle. Did you? But I was by the at that point I was well in. I was happy. I was like, this is great. <laughs> that it almost reminded me of the kind of feeling that I used to get at the end of movies in the nineties when I used to watch them as kids of not cynicism with no cynicism whatsoever. Because by that point it had me. Basically, in the same way that Viola had someone around the throat, it was it was just like, well, that's my emotional. It had me around the emotional throat, mm-hmm. and that was me. I was fully drawn in, and I, I didn't think about the maths. And I'm sorry that by that point <laughs> you were adding up the maths because that was clearly what was left in your brain by that point was it doesn't even add up. I mean, that was well, no, but I I genuinely want to know though. Um, did you see it coming? Uh, yes, I knew there would be some connection, like because mm. not because because precisely because nothing there is an accident, yeah. Because nothing, and that, I think that comes from you know that that comes from good filmmaking, and it also comes from expectations mm-hmm. from watching a certain filmmaker, and you know that nothing is there by mistake. Nothing has just been mm-hmm. left in shot. You know, there's no Starbucks cups left in your Game of Thrones screen when it's a Mike Flanagan mm-hmm. TV series. You know, and I think. I think being aware that everything has a place and everything has a narrative purpose Mm -hmm. 
I did not mind that the framing device had a thing because if we watch, we've watched a lot of horror anthologies, haven't we? And the last horror is always in the real world, not in the last mm-hmm. short story. And that's it. That is the rule of anthologies. And this is an anthology. So it was, of course, going to have that reveal. That reveal mm. was there. I didn't mind the reveal. I tried not to think about the ages. And then it was done. And then I cried some more, you know, and then. <laughs> and. Um, I mean, the bookend is one aspect of it. Yeah. But you kind of sort of mentioned it a little bit. But the actual ending, the ending that ends with Jamie. Yes. And her um, leaving the door open. Door open. Yeah. And the idea... What did you make of it? What did I make of it through racking sobs? Um, (laughs) I, I, I would like to like it noted that I am not normally an emotional, super squishy person. So this had really sneaked in and wormed its way into me to make mm. me have these feelings. These are not my normal. I don't normally cry at adverts, except maybe like the puppies that you need to adopt and stuff. But no, like genuinely, mm. that last sequence was beautiful. The fact that that hand on her shoulder, the ring, it was the same ring that they proposed with. And I like the idea of, again, that ghost logic of her being there mm. and not showing herself, mm. you know, for good reason you know the logic of jamie's alive and should not be trying to quest to the bottom of a lake Mm. and i think even in that shot of her trying to swim down to the bottom of the Mm -hmm. lake and not being able to stay down i think that even that very logic of humans you can't sink because that is literally for the dead that is that is not for you and Mm -hmm. the fact that she's paddling to try and stay down there with her and she can't is a wonderful example of exactly the the difference between it because where the earlier parts of the season had had ghosts and people intermingling Mm -hmm. and choosing and not leaving this was a very final ending of no you need to leave her there that is now Mm -hmm. that is now not the rules and I think I enjoyed that change of rules I think I you understood then that that you couldn't just walk around arm in arm with a ghost that was no longer Mm -hmm acceptable (laughs) and understanding that the story had switched to that painful reality and I think it deals with that very cleverly of you they have been intermingling and and realities and dreams and memories only to go into a future where none of those things can exist in a reassuring bubble literally it's just the matter of the living and the dead and I think it did a very good job of differentiating between the two but then giving us that moment of hope at the end of it's okay, one of them is, can see the other. And even that in itself is heartbreaking because Danny can see her and not love her. So that's heartbreaking for everyone. Yeah. So I got lost in your, in your words. It's the accent. Because, well, yeah. But also, no, I actually, I really, I love a predictable bookend. Yes. I did not like the way they dealt with it in this situation, but I did love the ending. For all for all those reasons. And also because I think it makes such a beautiful parallel to Peter and Rebecca's relationship yes. where that is twisted and yes. that is not love. Yeah. And Danny and Jamie's relationship is. It and is. part of it is also ja- uh, Danny's self-sacrificial um, nature. And I wanted to ask you kind of about, well, you mentioned it, but we haven't really talked about Danny's choice to sacrifice herself yeah. and how it relates to 
this guilt that she has been carrying throughout at least the first half of the season yeah. uh, relating to her ex-fiance's death. And once that is sort of mended through her relationship with Jamie, yeah. the idea of still having to sacrifice herself feels like a heartening back to it. Yeah, I guess I never, I never really thought of the fact that this was her balancing things out, really. Because I'd, I'd, I think because I was so on the side of the fact that she didn't, she didn't need to feel guilty for what happened. It just mm. happened. But then, I just, um, I what I did love about her sacrificing herself was the fact that it happened at the mm. very start of the episode of episode nine, and I was like, where's the rest of the episode going to go if the mm-hmm. if everyone saved the day now? And then it's like, well, you've not really saved the day. You've just kind of staved off the day to hurt you at a future point. And I, I did like mm. the idea of Viola as a passenger, but yeah, I, I guess I, I guess I was almost mad at Danny for her sacrifice, but at the same time, that's great. Flora lives and gets to love and has a wedding, and that's great. But also at the expense of Danny having a wedding and having to love and live, and not just be at the bottom of a lake. I'm gonna say something controversial, Go but I it. think you might like it. Go for it. I wish Danny had lived and the kids had been gone. Yeah, me too. Yep. Fuck the kids. I wish. Yep. Because I they've already so much. they'd already shown the kids dying. They'd already shown that faceless kid dying. Flora could have just died. Flora could have just walked. Flora could have just walked in there and I would not have been any sadder. And it would have been perfectly splendid for me. Oh. You've just given me PTSD. <laughs> Literally. Perfectly splendid. <laughs> I I mean, I'm already going to hell. It's fine. Whatever. Me too. I have never loathed a child as much as I hated Miles. Miles. Yeah, I really didn't like Miles. I I think I wrote a couple of things down about Miles. I just, I was furious about Miles. When Miles is being possessed by Peter. Oh yeah. See, that's, I had to kind of, I kind of did that twitch thing again. I had to bury my face under the blanket I was in okay, because I was okay. like the the level yes. of terrible thoughts that are going through my head right now yep. should never be broadcast. Yep. Why those actors? <laughs> yeah. I it's I, funny, isn't it? Because you wonder because I'm trying to think of other things where children have been possessed because mm. it's always ox right it's really mm. ox it's it's weird yeah. and strange it's, because it's you're always having, difficult yeah because you're having to make kids act but and and it's fine when everyone's grown up so the, the prime example is what faith and buffy like mm. faith and buffy sarah michelle geller and eliza dushku can act like each other and they're really good at it because they're grown up and they're actresses mm-hmm. but i do think there's a big challenge when suddenly you go right kids you need to act like a grown-up yeah. And especially when they are such angelic looking children, putting a little like a little flat cap on him and giving him a lighter is not going to make him Peter Quint. Mm. It's just not. And I think that's that's an inherent that's an inherent challenge which despite the fact that yes, I think the actors could have done something slightly different. Mm. I do think it's a, I do think it's a challenge and potentially shouldn't have even been plotted that way. Yeah, I do. I, I agree with you. It is. It's really difficult casting kid actors. I think particularly because the kids in Hill House were so charismatic and so good. Oh, they were so good. They were so good. 
I, I, it was such a stark comparison, and I know it's yeah. unfair to place um those types of expectations, but because we, it's by the same creators, of course. and you know, it's inevitable to compare it. I thought those kids were really bad, and actually, to your point earlier, before it is the challenge. So actually, when a when a child actor pull or a teenage actor pulls off performing it as an adult, it's yes. so amazing. I'm yeah. thinking of the the young actor who plays five in the Umbrella Academy. Essentially, it's like a 15-year-old kid who portrays throughout two seasons Mm -hmm. a basically 50-something-year-old assassin who's already lived that entire life. And, Uh you know, it's a sci-fi show, so it's all very heightened, but... And then comes back and is sort of trapped in his own prepubescent body. And he does that kind of adult trapped in a kid's body performance amazingly well. Um, But yeah, I didn't even... I didn't even find Flora and Miles creepy, which I thought was, you know, the most annoying thing. The fact that they weren't creepy enough. I found Flora quite creepy sometimes. Oh. I found her quite creepy because I found her quite disconnected. Mm. But also, I think there's a certain type of, especially with that accent, I do think that you will, they're a certain type of child. Mm -hmm. Both of them are. And they're both precocious and very mm-hmm. annoying and i think sometimes i find it more acceptable like just because i'm we're very used to listening to american kids be brilliant mm-hmm. and i think sometimes british kids have this kind of oh gosh i'm watching a period drama now and initially with the perfectly splendid stuff i was just like what is this but then i did actually, <laughs> I did actually come around to that oddly yeah. i found it quite endearing and sweet um yeah at the end it felt more like a like a, a protective chant than anything yeah. else yeah and I, th- I enjoyed hating them when they locked her in the cupboard like that was proper like evil moments i enjoyed yeah. that very much that was a good thing did but you yeah, no i appreciate that yes <laughs> did you um the question that i'm meaning to ask is kind of about um the setting and the character of the whole show because you bring up an interesting point of kind of when we when we see these British kids we almost expect like a period piece or a BBC drama. And obviously this is set in the UK. Um, not a lot of the actors are uh, British. Um, their accents, as we've described, sometimes are questionable, sometimes work yes. well. Yes. But overall, did you get a sense of place from Bly Manor? Did the sort of the the design and the overall vibe of the show feel British enough for you? Do you know, I think it did, but I think I found it heightened. Mm. And because there are so many familiar actors Mm -hmm. from Hill House, Mm -hmm. it has that anthology feel that when American Horror Story happens, so when Mm -hmm. you start a new season of American Horror Story, you spend the first episode going, oh, so you're you, and you're you, and you're you. And that that comes with its yeah. own set of expectations. And yeah. it's almost like an expectation around who you expect. It's very theatrical almost, because mm-hmm. you're, you want, you've got the same actors, you have the same faces, but they are doing different things, you know? Mm-hmm. So I think once I had got over that, I did feel a sense of place there. I mm-hmm. felt I felt I, I felt a strong enough sense of place there that I could then build all the mythology around it and the science around it and the ghost stuff around it and forgive it its inconsistencies mm-hmm. and imperfections in a way that 
I, I, I know everyone won't and I know you haven't. But I think because of that sense of place and connection and characters, I mm-hmm. forgave it a lot of its strange inconsistency, uh, sort of mm-hmm. uneven nature in those ways. I was willing to forgive a lot more because precisely because of that character. Hmm. And what are some of those, um, you know, I've, I always like talking about things that we disagree on anyway, because I'm seeing things in in a way that I hadn't perceived it when I was watching it. Yeah. But what are some of those inconsistencies that you think some people might pick up on and that you picked up on and forgave the show? I think the, my biggest one is actually one of the episodes, the episode about the uncle. I really didn't like that episode. Um, I found it... I found the repetition of being in his office very annoying. I found mm-hmm. his routine refusal to speak to Danny about the kids mm-hmm. very annoying. I found... I felt like any time that we were away from Bly Manor, I wanted a really good reason for us to be, and that wasn't a good enough reason to be. Mm-hmm. I did feel like that was a thing. Anytime we went away from there, I felt disconnected and strange, and he was unnecessary. So I think, mm-hmm. actually, there's a whole episode in there that I find... An, not an inconsistency, but certainly a misstep because I feel like without that, I didn't really need that episode. You could have easily sprinkled in the fact that he was Flora's father Mm -hmm. in smarter ways. Or even in Hannah's episode, we could have seen Mm -hmm. him there, you know, her questioning, why is he here? You know, she Mm -hmm. sees everything as the housekeeper. She saw everything. And I think that would have been a really clever way to show that. So I feel like that was my biggest thing that I overcame really mm-hmm. was going oh i don't really like this episode uh it's been there's been unevenness i know obviously it's the peter quinn accent that made me twitch slightly because it was so close to being scottish but not <laughs> <laughs> and um did you what did you think of it visually because um I find it interesting with with these types of shows, usually you get kind of a a director who's already an established name to set the tone and the visual style of the series with the first couple of episodes and then they sort of go away. Mike Flanagan did direct quite a few episodes of Hill House, but only directed the first one of Bly Manor and then every other director um, has been a different person. Did you find that the whole show visually was consistent enough or... Um, did you like any particular episodes more aside from the baby daddy one yeah um did the the design of the show with the particular episodes work more or less for you considering that they're all coming uh being made by different people i actually found it really cohesive um i didn't feel like there was any kind of there was no whiplash moments so to speak Mm -hmm. there wasn't anything that i thought oh gosh this doesn't fit here you didn't like the black and white episode i actually really did like the black and white Mm -hmm. episode i liked all the hissing candles and i liked handfuls of keys and close-ups on keys and locks and all of those things that i found really tropey but exactly what i wanted to see in a black and white episode which was revealing a lady of the lake you know so i was all in for that i Mm -hmm. was like this is like the movie that you see before a ride to set the theme of the roller coaster like I am so here for this Um, (laughs) which I guess says something about how I was feeling at the time and the fact that I was going through it in that way and that was the kind of attitude I was taking to it Mm -hmm. but I don't think there was anything particularly visually that I found um, very different between I did find episode five uh, Hannah's sort of jumping through things Mm -hmm. I found it very clever I found it very seamless um I really enjoyed her opening doors and finding herself in new places, which is really hard to do well. That That mm-hmm. is dream logic. Mm-hmm. And that's really hard to do well without making you feel seasick. And mm-hmm. I think it 
it was pacing was especially impressive so she'd stop and then she'd finally remember why she was in that place and she would have the conversation with Rebecca in the church or she would have the conversation with uh, the lady of the manor outside or she would be somewhere else so I enjoyed oh I'm somewhere else oh I, I actually belong here for a second and going through those memories so I think I found that in terms of directorial flow was the most invisible I suppose mm. it was the hidden ghost did you not did you not I liked I really liked episode five that was my favorite no, episode no your director did you did you notice differences I noticed that some episodes were less artful mm-hmm. um and as we've discussed we we mostly disagree on episode eight I thought it was um although I love all of that stuff that you're describing it's just that the visually visually felt quite flat mm. and plain and a little bit cheap which annoyed me because it's not a cheap production it's not cheap no no it's very much not cheap exactly and i i didn't feel the same visual flourish mm. through all the episodes as i did consistently um the basics were there but i felt like some of the episodes were a little too bbc drama for okay. my expectations of it yes Again, I can see that. Yeah. There was... I, I had a lot of issues with some of the design of okay. it. But that's also so niche. <laughs> no, uh, yeah. That might be a different podcast. Yeah. Is there anything we haven't touched upon that you feel is really, really important to talk about, about Blind Manor? Mm. I think the one thing that I will say is, uh, if mm. we're talking about it on a technical standpoint, is... Mm. Obviously, we were all completely obsessed with that one episode in Hill House that was all one shot. Mm-hmm. And I understand why there is not an episode like that, because it would be an automatic comparison. Mm-hmm. But I suppose a part of me would have loved not an episode like that specifically, but an episode that did something challenging in that way, you know, that, yes. that challenged its situation. And I think... I think it was missing some of that. And I do think, though, by its very nature, by the fact that Bly Manor is not Hill House and is Mm. an understated, very much understated ghost story, Mm. especially if you're not looking for anything hidden in the background, I can appreciate that it's not that. And a flashy one-shot thing, I guess, would have ruined that. Mm -hmm. But I think I would have have loved uh, a sort of a wave of, oh, look, we're doing the same thing we are just as smart but they did i do think they did very many many smart things but Mm -hmm. um much more understated i suppose so i suppose that's my my love and hate moment Mm. is i understand why they did it but i would kind of loved another technical achievement like that which watching the behind the scenes of that episode was next level stuff like it was incredible yeah i actually think i mean because you're much smarter than me you've just articulated i think my annoyance with it and it's the fact that it was missing that flourish at least in one episode yeah and i i actually think that episode eight is probably that yeah whether it works or not kind of will depend on everyone who's watching it yeah it worked for you yeah it worked for you did not work for me but i think that was probably the attempt at that flourish yeah 
that was it is just, a bold it is a bold. bold decision it is a bold decision yeah we gotta respect and, and that no pun intended it is a bold decision and mm. I, I i totally get why it's very much marmite in that way i do get it and i, I think the like, whole show will be marmite for a lot of people i think like mm. in general i think do you know what i it did not work for me but i actually really respect the bold decision like if yeah. if i think if it was just better directed i would have loved it i yeah. love the decision didn't love the execution mm. um but that's a really good point but i think it is going to split opinion yes but do you think horror fans contemporary horror fans will enjoy this i think horror fans expecting a scare fest like hill house will be disappointed i think horror fans who will go i'm not watching a scare fest i'm watching a lovely rich ghost story um that i've you know that I found beautiful all the way through, mm. even especially even the black and white episode I found especially glorious. I think uh, Axel Carolyn did a really beautiful job of it. I loved what she did, but I do think that there will be people who go, this is not what I signed up for. And I get it. Mm. And I guess that's why anthology shows are the joy that they are, right? Sometimes you watch Murder House and then you don't like Asylum or you love mm-hmm. Asylum and you don't like Coven. I think that will happen and there better be more of this because he said he was making an anthology right so it's a haunting series it's not a haunting two Hmm. so there will be more and that it better get into production now (laughs) just to wrap up our conversation about it i did find a theme of the show to be really fascinating really romantic actually and it's this idea in the series that a story can belong to someone and who do you think the story of bly manor ultimately belongs to it's funny, isn't it? Because you think it's Danny's story, but it seems to be Jamie's. But I think it's got Danny's heart in it. And it's Danny that we see as the, the, the hand on the shoulder. So I think it is Danny's story entirely, even when she is gone, because she is the representation of what's harnessing the nastiness. She beat the big bad. So, yeah, she is its absolute beating heart. And, um, yeah, I, I love it. <laughs> Thank you so I'm much. I'm sorry. <laughs> no, don't apologize. Thank you. And I'm sorry because I didn't like it like I expected. That's okay. To. <laughs> That's okay. This is why it's glorious that we are different. <laughs> <laughs> um, Louise, thank you so much for your beautiful analysis of The Haunting of Bly Manor. Thank you for having me. And where can people find out more about your work online? You can find me on Twitter at shiny underscore demon. Um, and you will find all of my various nonsense bits there. Amazing. Thank you. Thank you.